Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. Mercy and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 17. I will be looking at this story of how Jesus heals a boy with a demon. And our sermon verse is again verse 18, which I'll read now. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. According to a recent survey, Parents worry about their children 37 hours a week. Parents worry about their children 37 hours a week. And in the same survey, 59% admitted to losing sleep over worrying about their children. 59% have lost sleep because of their children. And what is one of the things that parents are worried about? What keeps them up? What keeps their minds so busy for 37 hours? Well... One of the top concerns that parents have for their children, according to the survey, is lice. And that comes to you from Lice Clinics of America. They conducted that study. Uh, And so you should know that, and and just in the spirit of transparency, it was Lice Clinics of America. But regardless of how much credence you put in things like that, it is a truth that parents do worry a whole lot about their children. And where does that worry come from? Of course, it's specific things, certain behaviors or or certain circumstances that a child might be in. But but deeper than that, what causes worry, not just in parents, but in everyone? What causes worry? Well, I would suggest that it's usually one or two things. Circumstances that are beyond our control and problems we can't fix and don't know how to fix, but feel like we should fix. (laughs) Circumstances beyond our control and the problems we feel like we should fix, but can't fix. And so then we meet a father whose son is possessed by a demon. And we look at him before us now as the man is looking at his son, and he's there on the ground being thrown down once again by whatever it is that is possessing him, causing him to seize, sometimes throwing him in water, sometimes throwing him in fire, and we can fill in the blanks. Perhaps sometimes this demon was throwing him down into rocks and in thorn bushes and whatever he could do. And there's a whole history going on behind this as well. We can see that when we read this story. This didn't just happen yesterday. And so imagine the hours that this father is spinning up at night, just staring at the ceiling, wondering if there isn't anything more he could do, or if there's something that he might have done wrong in trying to get his son help, if there's some step that he's missing, some clue that he isn't seeing, something that he could do to help his demon-possessed son. Think about how red his eyes must have been for all those sleepless nights. Think about the constraints that this family was living under. To do anything, to just go out and get the normal things they need for the house would present some kind of risk. Do you leave the son at home, or do you take him with you? What do you do with the boy? And imagine also the risk that this man took to get 
his son to the disciples of Jesus. Jesus is up on the mountain with, with Peter, James, and John right now. He took them away for some reason, and so now there are nine disciples there. Nine disciples who have followed Jesus for some time. Surely one of them can help, and one after another they can't. They can do nothing. And so the worry for this man increases. And this man, having gone through all nine disciples, waits like we wait for Jesus. He stands there waiting like we wait for Jesus. We have tried different solutions. We have even called our brothers and sisters in Christ for the problems that, that, that plague us and hurt us and cause us pain. And sometimes there are no answers. And sometimes there is disappointment in the things that we suffer. And it seems like there is nothing we can do but wait. Wait. And that's a restless kind of waiting, right? As a parent, I know that whenever my children are sick, whenever they have colds or coughs, I often tell them, you know what? You know what? I wish I could take that cold right out of you and punch it in the nose and tell it to never come back. But that's not what a parent would really do. The parent would wish that they could take the cold upon themselves, take the pain away from the child and bear it on their own. This man was helpless to do even that. His waiting is like our waiting. It's a waiting to finally see Jesus, to finally know that, that Jesus will act, to finally have that word of confirmation that Jesus does indeed love the suffering, and to know also that his kingdom, the kingdom that he's bringing, is not just for you, but also for your family. His waiting is a restless waiting. So is ours. This demon-possessed boy has been thrown down on the ground in front of the disciples. And they look at him now. All nine of them that are there. And they remember that they should do something. Because it wasn't too long ago, in Matthew chapter 15, that there was a woman, she was a Canaanite woman, a foreigner in the region of Tyre, not even a part of Israel. Not even really a part of the place where Jesus had come to do his ministry. And she goes up to Jesus, and she has a sick daughter, and she will not go away. And Jesus exposed his disciples' carelessness and lovelessness. But they've learned since then. They've learned since then. And so they know they should do something. Jesus is up on the mountain, and, and there's, there's thundering, and, and looks like what might be lightning and clouds gathering on top of the mountain, so certainly that storm is going to send him down soon. But there's no need to wait. There's no need to wait. They should act now. And, and they're not unreasonable in thinking that they can cast out the demon. I know that sounds strange to us, but in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus gave his disciples the authority to cast out demons. He says that. He says, you can go out, cast out demons. And so they tried, one after the other. And nine times in a row, they failed this son and the father. What? What's going on? Why can't they do it? Was it maybe that a little bit of faith in themselves got mixed in with their faith in Jesus? Was it that when Jesus said to them, you can go out and cast demons, that they began to think of that as something that was their authority now that they owned? It belonged to them and they possessed it rather than it belonging to Christ and Christ having authority over such things? Or was it that they didn't believe Jesus at all when he said that you can cast out demons in my name? 
The answer isn't clear to the disciples, and I would argue as we look at this boy in front of us, it's not clear to us either why that was. But this much we do know. As we read through the Gospel of Matthew, it seems like faith is revealing itself in a plea for help. It seems like as we read through the Gospel of Matthew that faith is revealing itself in a plea for help. Matthew reveals to us a synagogue ruler who comes up to Jesus and it turns out that his daughter has died. And desperately this man pleads for Jesus to come and help and he does and he raises the daughter. That centurion woman that we already mentioned would not go away until her daughter was helped. And now there is this father waiting here, not moving an inch until Jesus comes to help. And if we were to read this story in the Gospel of Mark, because Mark t- reveals this story to us as well, the story is there. Mark says that the man says to Jesus when he shows up, I believe, help my unbelief. Perhaps faith is not concerned with how strong it is. And maybe we need to reshape our idea of what faith really means. That faith isn't about power over and above certain people and certain problems, but rather, in this case, faith, as small as a grain of mustard seed, is putting your knees right down next to a person who's in trouble and equally as helpless as you are and crying out along with them, shoulder to shoulder, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, help. Jesus comes down the mountain. And now this boy's in front of him. Thrown on the ground yet again by this demon that seems to want to torture this family and this boy. And the man comes up to Jesus and he tells him the history. He says, my son is is possessed and the spirit throws him down into fire and into water. He's having seizures all the time. And when Jesus hears this, he clenches his fists because nothing is right about this picture. Nothing is right. Nothing is right for this family. This father should be teaching his son how to fish and, and, and other important life skills and, and, and passing on his trade and his craft to prepare his son for adulthood. They should be going to the temple together, not, not staying huddled in their home in constant fear. And, and the disciples were unable to help. Nothing is right about this picture. Nothing. This man is possessed, or this boy is possessed by evil. And Jesus looks at this child, and he knows how it goes for children. He knows how it goes for the little ones. And the truth be told, it goes the same way for adults. How this child, in those gap times, most likely was also awake at night when the seizures weren't happening, when the attacks weren't going on, and he was probably asking, did I do something to cause this? Is this my fault? Is my daddy suffering because of me? Jesus saw this boy and he knew the truth about all people. That we feel guilt over the things that we do and we also feel guilt for the things that are out of our power. And there's nothing right about that picture. The man tells him that the disciples couldn't do anything. Jesus grits his teeth. 
and he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be here with you? And Jesus isn't saying that because he likes heaven better than down here. He came and took on flesh as an infant, willingly, of his own accord. His will is also the Father's will. And the Father's love is also his love. He came to be with his people. But the disciples had not yet learned the lesson that only the crucifixion would be able to teach. The disciples hadn't learned the lesson that only the crucifixion would be able to teach. Because Jesus would be taken from them where they could no longer see him or hear him or talk to him. And he would be crucified and killed and separated by death from them. And there, the very weakness of their faith would be exposed. That their trust in themselves would be irrevocably and completely crushed and shattered as they would run away despite what Jesus had promised them, as they would deny even knowing Jesus and lie about him, as they would even doubt that he could ever rise from the dead and and one would even betray him. The disciples' faith in themselves and strength and their own faith would be completely shattered and crushed and exposed for the nothing that it really is. And yet, and yet, this same Jesus would rise again and appear to his disciples when there is faithlessness Even when a whole generation is faithful, God remains true to his word. Even when a whole generation is faithful or faithless, God remains true to his word. And that is the kind of faith the disciples needed to overcome evil for the sake of this family. A faith that looks only to Jesus and not to itself faith that cries out for help. And now, being just a few days away from Christmas, God is placing another boy in front of us. And it was said of him by the prophets that he would come and preach liberty to the captives. That we should draw near to this boy who's been placed before our eyes and marvel at how God has taken on human flesh and become an infant, God himself in flesh. Becoming an infant, not able to speak even a word, and yet somehow, one day, he will defeat the power of evil and Satan with just the breath of his mouth. He will fulfill that age-old promise given to Adam and Eve that the serpent's head would be crushed, and he would do it with a word. This, Jesus, would make it so that nothing on earth, nothing height nor depth, life nor death, not even the power of Satan himself could separate us from his love. Look at the boy who's in front of us now, the infant who is to come, and know what he teaches That whenever we are harassed and helpless by the world's problems or whenever we see another brother or sister in Christ in need, we are to simply put our knees down on the ground next to them and cry out, Lord, have mercy, help, help. And thus, faith is revealed to be powerful. Faith is not meant to be 
power over people and over certain problems, but faith is powerful because faith is a foundation in the midst of difficult problems. Faith isn't power over people and problems. Faith is a foundation in the midst of difficult problems, a faith in which we can put our knees down upon on solid ground and cry out to our Lord Christ, help. And look at the boy who is to come, the infant who is to be born. And know that for all the things that we have to worry about, for all the good things that seem to fall into nothingness, for all the death that surrounds us in the world, for all the pains that never seem to go away, there is one thing we do not have to worry about, that just as surely as this boy is given to us, this is also true, that he will come again. Amen. Our Savior. And so we celebrate today... Christmas, and we'll celebrate again on the 25th, Christmas, Christ who has come for us to give us his many, many wonderful blessings and who leaves us satisfied and filled with joy. All right, so with that, you can return to your seats. I need a break. We now worship God with our offerings. For you, to the Father. If you know Jesus revealed, you also know his Father. And so he has walked before you, and now he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Draw near to Jesus revealed and his word, and you will rest in times of stress and in times of frustration, and in times of busyness, you will live rested. Consider Christ, who day after day got up and had crowds aggressively grabbing onto his garments just when he's trying to get across town so that they might have healing. Consider how he heard the words and thoughts and plans of the Pharisees continue, and consider also how he looked at his disciples, sometimes wondering if they would ever learn what he was trying to teach them. And for all the stress that he carried, literally the burden of the world was on his shoulders. He drew near to his father and the word, and he lived rested. And now he gives that gift to you. He gives that gift to you. So come to him. Come to him and you will find, just like those who were waiting on the Messiah, found. The shepherds, who were lowly, and the magi, who were far off and not even considered a part of God's plan, came and they saw him and they were filled with hope and they worshipped him. Consider how the baby Christ was brought to the temple and those who were weary and elderly saw him and held him and just from his presence lifted up their heads and burst out into song and see how when we draw near to Christ, when we hear his invitation we find not only rest, but restoration. A kind of rest that only He can give. As you leave, our bosses might still continue to pretend to be our bosses and still try to make the orders and give the demands and point out all the failures along the way. But we have a greater song to sing a song that comes from the angels, a song we can sing in spite of them and in spite of even our own sin. 
glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And with these words, we know that it's not just peace that Christ has come, but he also brings rest. Amen. Crown of thorns that went all the way around his head. He bled from all the way around his head. When he was nailed to the cross, he had nails through both of his hands, the right and the left. When he was nailed to the cross, he had one nail that went through both feet, the right and the left. And after he had died, he had been pierced with a spear that went up all the way to his heart. And from there, blood and water flowed. And because of those things, we know, we know that there isn't one part of us a corner of our conscience that still feels dark and guilty or an area of our lives that we're ashamed to ask for help. There isn't one part of us that Jesus hasn't bled for, that his blood cannot reach because he himself is our perfect and final sacrifice who covers us head to toe with his forgiveness. And this Advent season, as we stand back and think about Jesus coming in the flesh, we know we know that when it comes to our salvation, there isn't anything he doesn't want to do. Amen.